Hello and welcome to episode 339 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and if you saw the title of the podcast before hitting play, you might notice that we are going to talk about story versus gameplay. This is not a fighting game. This is not a court case. We are just... How do I put this? Uh, as players of RPGs, we're used to playing a lot of games with good stories. And, but sometimes the gameplay doesn't live up. And on the flip side, a lot of video games in general, maybe, have very fun gameplay and a, and a story that lets you down somewhat. So we're going to talk about both of those kinds of games and others in this episode, but who is going to discuss these topics with me? They are our panel, starting with Dom Kim. Hello, hello. Good to be here. And Peter Treisenberg. Hello, everybody. And Nikki Fakuri. Hello. And Audra Bowling. Hiya. So, Audra, Nikki, Peter, Dom, uh, we have quite a vague topic ahead of us. Talking about video game stories or just video game gameplay would already be a multi-month like series of podcasts. But instead, we're going to talk about both at once, just to make it harder on ourselves. But and but it, I mean, I'm gonna. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but in general, as fans of RPGs and video games, we like a good story and we like good gameplay. Of course. We always want both. Is that that's fair, right? I think that's totally fair. Yes. Yeah, where everyone's looking for I that agree. good balance. Yeah, but unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, like it's very clear whether the game you're playing it has, whether you're playing it for the story or playing it because it's fun in spite of the story. Well, I'm, I'm sure we've all played some games like that. But uh, but first, I'm gonna uh, ask the hard question: story or gameplay? Like if you what would you rather do play a game with a great story and weak gameplay or play a game with great gameplay and a weak story? What, which way do you lean? And uh, you can elaborate a little bit, but uh, let's uh, no 15 minute tangents here. Um, and I'm just going to pick someone randomly. Uh, Peter story or gameplay. Oh man, you're putting this on me right out of the gate. Well, Indeed uh, I am. yeah. So I've, I honestly, I've, I feel like my answer has changed over time. A few that we when we first pitched this podcast idea, this was like five or six years ago at our at Retro Encounters Inception. I probably oh, it, was seven, it was seven years ago. I was I I, I checked God, the topic. I feel yeah. old. Oh my god, <laughs> this, is, this is one of the oldest topics on our ideas board, and we're finally crossing it off the list. Uh huh. Well, I feel like around that time, I probably would have said I prefer a good story to good gameplay. I think that games, um. You know, a lot of, especially RPGs, have the potential to tell really compelling narratives. Of course, a good cast of characters always helps to support these things. But um, as time goes on, I've gotten older, I've found that I actually have a really hard time um, engaging with a game that doesn't give me um, gameplay systems that I enjoy. Um, like, I mean, if there's something that's super annoying about a gameplay system... Even if the story is like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. I'm a lot less forgiving of it than I used to be. So I'm actually going to say gameplay over story. All right. Thanks, Peter. And uh, I'm just going to go in the opposite order that, that we have on our starting list here. Uh, Dom, what's your choice, story or gameplay? Um, For me, personally, I think I lean more towards story because um, I find that uh, a good story does... The amount that it adds to the longevity and memorability of the game for me is so much greater than any than most, or if not almost all, sort of gameplay systems out there. All right, thanks, Dom. Now uh, we're just going to make this uh, in a rapid fire. Nikki, your turn. Story versus gameplay. Uh, story. 
there can be, uh, especially in the realm of video games, where we love ourselves some sequels with very similar gameplay to each other, sometimes story is the only thing to differentiate uh, one game from another. But also, I think good enough gameplay is a story within itself. Ooh, I like I, I like that that final thesis statement you that's you a, rolled out there. That's, that's, a, good, that's, that's good. a good quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's that's some thoughtfulness. I might have to take some notes and and put that in the uh, in in the intro. But uh, Audra, your choice: story or gameplay? Ooh. As a general rule, it's very close. But actually, in RPGs, I think I'd lean more slightly towards gameplay. Just because if I wanted to play for a really good story, I'd probably pick up a visual novel. And I mean, that's more what you're basing the game itself off of is the story there. But RPGs, you kind of need a little extra, I think. All right. Thanks, Audra. And uh, it's my turn now. Um, Story or gameplay? Uh, Of course, I always want good story and good gameplay. I'll take whatever I can get. I play both. I play both extremes of this uh, of, of this spectrum. But in general, I think I favor gameplay over story as well, uh, because if uh, if I'm playing a video game and the game isn't fun fundamentally to play, then why am I playing it? Why am I playing a game instead of reading a book or watching a uh, a, a television series or a movie or uh, or maybe playing a game with barely any gameplay, like a like a visual novel, as Audra suggested? In general, I go to video games because of the union of story and gameplay, but I, I, I weigh gameplay a little a little heavier than story, I think. So we're a nice even mix here. It's not, I'm, I'm glad that we aren't 5-0 in one way or the other. That would have been a little disappointing. <laughs> but, um, but now, uh, before we started recording, I asked everybody to pick a game that they think is an interesting topic in a it like in a story and gameplay discussion like either something that has great gameplay but a bad story or vice versa or story and gameplay that feed into each other well and enhance the other if you wanted you know doing the uh the the fire emblem fates revelations path of the uh of, of this divergence here Ugh, speaking of gameplay over story yeah well so speaking, <laughs> speaking of speaking of you know maybe neither uh, that's the, the yeah. like oh the fire Fire, Fire, Fire Emblem Fates, not a game we're discussing today, un- un- except for this moment in somewhat in jest. Uh, but, you know, Peter, you went first before. You're going to go first again. Uh, what's the game that you wanted to bring to the discussion table today? And uh, and, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it, it's actually kind of funny that um, I, um, I just said that I would actually be going for gameplay over story. And yet the game I'm choosing is a game that I think has earned its following largely because of its story or and in small part because of the general vibes of the whole experience and that is the original near um uh, near replicant slash near gestalt released for the playstation 3 and 360 in japan and then released over here as just near um near was one of the last games if not the last game to be developed by cavia um, the company that gave us the Drakengard series. And obviously it has gone on to become a cult favorite. Its sequel, Near Automata, I would argue is a very good game with a great story and very fun gameplay. And it has become like wildly popular. Um, and we even got a remake of the original Nier, um last year that fixed a lot of the original releases issues. 
We did, um, and uh, and but before you continue, Peter, I should mention we did two episodes on the original Near many moons ago in 2016, I think. We did, and then, yep. And then we did two episodes on Near Automata in early 2019, I think. No, no, I think it was uh, yeah, either 2019 or 2020. And then we did a fifth Near episode on the Replicant remake last year. So, uh, Retro Encounter is well familiar with oh yeah near. we're we're no strangers to uh to near um but the reason i bring this game up is because the original near to put it bluntly is a janky mess um it is not a game with very polished gameplay systems nothing in it is particularly broken but it also isn't particular it doesn't excel at anything it's very much a jackbox full of um gameplay systems and references to other games i remember when um when it was being marketed a lot of mainstream game magazines were calling it square enix's answer to god of war which well it is not well (laughs) Um, i don't know if they just saw a big burly man with a sword and a lot of blood and were like oh that makes sense but uh, it is not. Combat in the original Nier is weightless and floaty. It doesn't feel particularly good. You have a lot of weapon variety, but outside of the spell system, there isn't really any... It doesn't. You never feel like there's any sense of kinetic energy to your swings and your attacks. Um, it's a little better in the Replicant remake, but I, I basically agree that uh, it, like the original Nier was a janky mess, and it took uh, it, it took treasure developing Nier Automata for like like for us to think of wait. Nier as a game with really flowing, stylish uh, combat. You mean uh, you mean Platinum? Platinum. You're right. Oh, whoops. What what did I, what did I say? You said treasure, which I made it. Like, I would whoops. love it if treasure designed. You know what? I, I would. I would. I would play a near game designed by treasure. I think I would. Um, but <laughs> a a plus. Honestly, Yoko Taro, bring bring treasure. Especially back. especially the 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 space shooting segments would be amazing oh, with yeah. treasure. Oh, totally. And that's what I was thinking because treasure made made mm-hmm. made a bunch of the best shmups. So anyway, uh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, please no, continue. You're fine. No, no, no. But that's that's actually but that's the thing is like near the original near and automata to some extent. But, you know, Automata does it better is kind of a pastiche of references to other games. You have bosses lifted from Zelda. You have a whole point and click adventure section. You have your hack and slash combat. You have like big open zones that are empty and lifeless. You have the ability to ride animals. It doesn't do anything, but you can do it. There's a text um, adventure segment, too. Yeah, yeah. The text adventure segment is awesome. Um, All these parts, really, the game is so much more than the sum of those parts, though because of the story because of the characters because of its weird cryptic lore and kind of and the the fact that it's like replayable and that's part of the story is like it's a still a fascinating experience that i would wholeheartedly recommend even though gameplay wise yeah you're you're not going to be having the greatest time all the time um so that i think is probably one of in my opinion probably one of the best examples of a game that is a uh elevated by its story um because in in isolation just looking at individual gameplay systems you know when it when near came out it kind of got i don't want to say it got critically lambasted but it definitely got a lot of sixes a lot of sevens uh lots of like well we're not really sure what to make of this and it took time and traction and then eventually um a, a sequel for it to really become this beloved game 
Right. Uh, thanks, Peter. Now, I, I, I've already chimed in a couple times about Nier, but um, who else among us has played the original Nier? I would wholeheartedly recommend um, if you if you played and enjoyed Automata, um, I would wholeheartedly recommend playing the Replicant remake as it is mm-hmm. a more polished version of the original experience. Um, it, it has it's still it's still a grab bag of random gameplay mechanics, but it feels a little less physically painful. Yeah, and uh, w- one thing about the Nier story, and this is a game that you play for the story and characters and not the gameplay for, uh, for the most part, I, I would say. Like, it, it is a bunch of um, messy ideas thrown together, but I, I think that um, that uh, Nier, Nier is also the name of the main character. Like, uh, Nier and Kaine and Emil as a trio that are these, uh, these three suffering, somewhat broken people are truly, truly... Uh, I wouldn't say relatable, but but very a very remarkable core cast of an RPG. They and, are delightful, and um the and the sort of the deeper you get into Nier, the more story it gives you, and uh, and a lot of it is just so heartbreaking. Yoko Taro's writing, he, he is he, he I don't want to say he like he throws twists at people, but like every every time you do a side quest, or or you upgrade a weapon because when you every time you upgrade a weapon in near it gives you a a new chapter of a sort of a short story and mm-hmm. uh so mm-hmm. each, all the weapons in the game i think how many there's like t- between 25 and 30 of them i think something like that yeah so let's say around 30 so you get like 30 mini stories by upgrading weapons and like the, the one there's a uh, i remember one weapon i used for a lot in the game was called i, I think it was called the uh the, the it was like the labyrinth blade or something or the uh it, but it, it was a, a giant sword with bullhorns on it. Like, so it was like a Minotaur-themed sword. And mm-hmm. uh, the story that you unlocked as you upgraded it was a Minotaur that was, uh, that, that was afraid of people, but, he, but it uh, decided to help a little girl one day. And it was just, it, it was just a, yeah. a really weird, sad story. Which, and that's what Nier is. It is a weird, sad story full of smaller, weird, sad stories. And there isn't really any game, other game that feels like it. Yeah, and, uh, it, but and, and but uh, going from the original version to the replicant version is like uh, basically this is a game where the uh, gameplay is so rough that people will be turned off from it to a game where that preserves ninety nine percent of that great story, but is a game that feels like a that feels like a a, a you know a twenty twenty video game and not a mm-hmm. and, and not a complete. Uh, complete mess full of jank. So, and a lot of people, even though Near Automata is by far the more popular game, some people maintain that they think the original Near story is better. It's it's that affecting and that weird and and, and that different. I definitely think that both um, Near and Automata they um, they they are really there is nothing else like them. They really do have this this incredible thematic cohesion and. Um, it, and like you said, Solosi, it is a, it is a game about broken people exploring a doomed world, and it really just become and 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 it and the gameplay in the original game it really is an experience that is more than the sum of those parts. Probably the best example and, I can think of of that. And this is one hundred percent overthinking it. But Yoko Taro, being the enfant terrible that he is. Is like, it, did he deliberately make this game sort of slow and bad just so the player suffers a little bit? I, you know, I, while I, while I, I don't, I could see him doing stuff like that. Looking at his other games like Dragon, like Dragon Guard One and Two, which, okay, Ka- Kavia fans, Yokotaro fans, is, 
Drakengard 1 is bad, okay? It's time to admit it. It's okay. <laughs> it, when the one time Drakengard, uh, with apologies to Zach, the one time that Drakengard appeared on a retro encounter poll, I really, really hoped it didn't win. Because I was. It is, I, I knew I was not going to enjoy playing that game. Draken, came to and and Drakengard 1 is also a game that's full of really interesting themes, and really, it's a really dark story, and there's a lot to unpack with Drakengard's connections to Nier. But, um, oh my god. Caveat did not make a fun did not make fun video games, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's like but there's some things about Nier that are so cumbersome. Like like there's a lot of back and forth fetch questing that seems unimportant until disaster yeah. strike. And there's even a, a city that where you have to go around a giant canal whenever you want to do something basic like go to a weapon shop and uh, to upgrade your weapons or uh, there isn't really weapon shops like a materials shop and to upgrade your weapons you have to leave the main town and like walk for 15 full minutes just to go to the uh uh to the armory or the factory that lets you upgrade their weapons it's, it's, it's a it's like a craftsman shop outside the factory level in general it's a game that sometimes as the player you feel like you're fighting its quest design and, and systems but the rewards are a really affecting story that isn't like anything else mm-hmm. oh yeah totally like your reward for for finishing this quest is not like your reward for finishing the lighthouse quest is not the XP you get from each visit to the lighthouse. It's this absolutely heartrending story about an old, an old lady waiting for her long lost love who will never come home. Yeah. And Oh man, I know, I know this is only in the remake and not in the original near, but uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the stuff around the ship. I cannot believe this game made me, feels so happy and sad at the same time for a character just named red bag man because he's a man <laughs> holding a red bag yeah, like like right. like like red bag man is a better npc than like 99% of npcs like i i cannot believe this game made me feel feelings about red bag man but it did <laughs> so uh uh dom audra and nikki i know maybe you can't comment on this as detailed as peter and i are but uh if any of that sounds intriguing, and I hope we didn't spoil too much, uh, please, I don't know, watch a YouTube video of Nier and then make your own judgment because <laughs> this, this is very weird and special. I've got and, a, I've got a, I've got a good summary video. I can link you all if you need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah drop that in the, uh, in the, in the group chat at a, uh, at a later date. But uh, well, let's talk about something else. Does anyone else want to um, volunteer uh, or you know are willing to? open their backpack and and show us what they brought for show and tell um i'll go next yeah sure so um the game i chose uh this time around is hades and i chose it because it for me it's it's an example of how the story just adds so much longevity and memorability and so much more to the game in a way that i feel very few games do because hades in and of itself is it's a it's an action roguelike, which is basically you go through dungeons and then you clear the boss of every dungeon and everything is procedurally generated besides a select few encounters per floor. And then you advance through the floors and then you eventually, um, quote unquote, beat the game. And the gameplay loop itself focuses around um, dying repeatedly. And because this is a rogue light, not a true roguelike you have you still do have permanent progression that you can save up so like you get uh, better upgrades every run and stuff and that is the that is the um, basic foundations of hades's gameplay and 
it really isn't that different from other roguelikes in this regard. It's like I could like the type of gameplay that I enjoy in Hades, I could find in other roguelikes like Enter the Gungeon or um, The Binding of Isaac. But I feel what really sets um, Hades apart is its, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone who's played this kind of test to it, but it's incredible writing, which is, um, it's the story of Zagreus and him trying to find his mother who um he what was it again it was he found out that she's uh still alive and somewhere well all right i'll i'll, I'll step in yeah. a little bit because um i i was obsessed with hades for yeah. a lot of 2020 and um and uh, we were <laughs> yeah we, we recorded a hades episode yeah for retro encounter in early 2021 and nikki you were on that episode with dom and i yes so we, we will get to uh, a certain very chaotic friend very soon i, I promise nikki yay in general, Hades is just what Dom described. It's a game that's that's precipitated on on runs, trying to get to the end of a dungeon that is only that's in that's segmented into four parts. You can beat the game, like clear clear the dungeon in about thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. And and speedrunning maniacs will try to get like under ten minutes because again they're speedrunning maniacs. But um, every time you you do, you clear a room of enemies, you, your your reward and your or your upgrade is randomized. So every single run will be different. And there's also six base weapons that each have four variants. So uh, 24 available weapons that each com- are a completely different play style. So there's an incredible amount of variety to Hades. But it, it, in general, it's about Zagreus, the son of Hades, who believed that his mother was the, was the night goddess Nyx, who is another figure from Greek myth. But, but someday, uh, one day he learns that his mother is not Nyx, but is, was the, uh, go- the goddess Persephone. And she separated from Hades sometime in the past and went to the surface. So Zagreus's goal is to escape from Hades and go meet his mother for the first time in, in many, many years. But mm-hmm. uh, because of how Greek mythology works, when you die, you go back to Hades anyway. Like Hades is where you go when you die. So it, like, it, it, it fits that story bit into the gameplay. Like if you fail a run or, or finish a run and then die or, or whatever happens, you end up back at, at, the, at Hades's castle again. So that fits neatly in the gameplay. But by completing runs, collecting items, speaking to the gods that give you powers, because, you know, you like, like Zeus, Artemis, I believe it's eight or nine of the Olympian gods, speak to them often in the dungeon because they're, they're, they give you skills and upgrades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the people in Hades' castle, like Hypnos and Nyx and Hades himself and Cerberus, like by interacting with them and completing more runs and unlocking more things and finding new gameplay tidbits allows more interactions with this absolutely fabulous cast with some of the best writing I've ever read, I've ever felt in a video game. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't like roguelikes, go into this game, not for the gameplay. Like, like this is a gentle roguelike that just has an amazing cast and, and story. Even though Hades does have great gameplay and a lot of people that will min-max and speed run and do all these, you know, um, video game, very online things. This is a game that's, that shines from its writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% agree and it's like it's amazing because I was I was like 80 hours into the game and I was still finding like new voice lines and like new interactions between between the different gods and like the bosses and the people you you meet as you respawn in in Hades's castle it was it's just fantastic writing through and through and to me this really just 
if this was just like if Hades just had like a bang average story and this was just like another just another roguelike, I feel like I would have stopped probably around at like the twenty hour mark. I think it would have felt pretty good, but like after I beat it a couple times, I would have I would have dropped it forever. But instead, yeah. Hades is a game that I still think about. Yeah, and like I still think about it. I have I have almost all the achievements on it, and I have like over a hundred hours on it, which is very unusual for a roguelike for me, <laughs> because I usually stop at most. I usually play both. For like 50 hours and like just stop but for hades i just i just couldn't put it down I, I just had to keep coming back to it i'm pretty sure i have almost every everything story related unlocked right now but even now i can't be quite sure just because of how how i kept on discovering new stuff like so late into so late into the game okay now uh nikki i have a question for you a little bit later but first i want to double check uh peter or audra have you played hades oh yeah no i've heard a lot about it though i want to play it Oh, it's good. It's it's good. Like put it put it on a wish list and check for sales or something. I was right there with you playing Hades in 2020 actually, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that game a lot. Um, it really is. Um, to continue on like the Greek myth thing, um, the it is Sisyphean, um, in nature. The fact that Zagreus has to keep going further and further and further into the under uh, into the underworld. Um, and constantly is sent back with every death, but you still make that little bit of progress. And Sisyphus, and, and it is very much akin, it, it makes deliberate allusions to the tale of Sisyphus, that guy in the Greek underworld. And in an amazing, ironic coincidence, uh, you meet Sisyphus is in the game, and if you build up your relationship with him enough and explore around a little bit, you can free him of his uh, Hades contract. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's just... There's a lot of little details in that game that I really appreciate. I like that, um, again, like you said, Dom, the fact that there's so many voice lines that it never feels repetitive, even though by its nature as a roguelite, it is repetitive. You are going to be going through the same zones and fighting the same mobs, but it feel, it strikes that perfect balance where it just feels right. And the themes of the story also being like, okay, this is like about repairing a broken family ultimately um without getting into specifics because i do think this is an experience a game everyone should experience it is po quite possibly the best thing super giant games has ever made um, I, I i love all four super giant games but i hades is their magnum opus it is it, it, it is so special. it is the culmination of their their of their design careers and uh yeah and 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 it and it is elevated it, it, while it is a fight a finely tuned side of gameplay systems it is elevated by those delightful characters and its tone and atmosphere and 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 the, just the, yeah, the storytelling is excellent i also just as an aside since Solosi and i um interviewed greg cassivan ages ago at our first e3 when we that were was yeah that was in 2016 and they brought uh, us an early build of pyre and i really appreciate that he voices uh hypnos in <laughs> that makes me giggle every time <laughs> but uh N nikki i know you and i have talked about hades before on that podcast from over a year ago but uh can you share with us either a, a favorite character or some favorite interactions that you remember from hades everything with than wow thanatos is wow. absolute top tier video game boyfriend like holy yeah Mary. And he has that little, like, uh, like his little bell sound effect. And then, like, if you get far enough in your relationship with him, uh, Zagreus will just go, like, bong right before the bell sounds. Like, it's so <laughs> funny. It's wonderful. 
Oh, what was the name of the little? What was the name of the bone hydra? Skel? No, not what? Skelly. Skelly's the other guy. No, what yeah. was the name of the it's, bone it's, hydra? It's, it's Lernian hydra, and Zagreus renames him Lerny after a couple. Uh, a, a, I a, love a... Lerny. Oh, I love Lerny. Yes. He'll, he even cracks like some puns. A lot of Lerny puns, uh, like like some weekend at Lerny's kind of stuff. If you fight yeah. him enough times, and uh, and one of the Fury sisters. Um, oh, he teaches her how to talk. Yeah, she can, she can only say she can only say the word murder until you fight her enough times. She starts learning more words. It's like <laughs> this game oh rewards God. you with more story the more you play. Who who is um who's Hermes's boyfriend? Charon. When you steal from his shop and the jazz music stops and then he tries to kill you, that's so good. Yeah, it's a literal it's a literal record scratch when you, when yeah, you I love it. Curse. It's so great. <laughs> and the, the music in this game is killer. A lot of it is sung by Orpheus and Eurydice, who are a separated couple that you can get back together in this game. You can you can get like three at least three couples back together in Hades, which you know me me my my dumb romantic brain uh, just is firing in all cylinders when I hear that that's something you can do in the game. But uh, I like that. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, but uh, the the music is absolutely awesome, and the duet that you get at the final when you when credits roll from uh, Orpheus and Eurydice is just, it's just so good. Mm -hmm. I, uh, oh man, uh, it's a song called "It's in the Blood," and if you want to YouTube that, I highly recommend it. Oh yeah, and YouTube that. Let's listen to that whole soundtrack. It's so tight. Anyway, we have um, popped off on Hades on at least two podcasts in two years now, and I think I, I hope listeners that gave you if you haven't played it before that gave you some idea of how it's so good at marrying uh, gameplay and story together, just just like how uh, Zagreus is is married to Thanatos in all of our hearts. Yes. But uh, Nikki, speaking of Thanatos and Reapers, huh? huh? Oh, it? oh my what? God, my <laughs> boyfriend who lives in the Old Bailey. Exactly. Um, wow! Oh my god! Please tell us about the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Um, in your own words, especially how you think it's. I, I'm. I'm going to take a guess here. Its story shines particularly strongly. Wow! What a great game. It's a mystery, adventure, visual novel hybrid game, and um, it follows uh, Ryunosuke Naruhodo. He's a law student from Japan who arrived at, in London but two days ago, and uh, Strongheart told uh, Von Zeeks all about him, and he's a mere amateur. But he wants to become maybe the greatest ace attorney of all time. And it's pretty neat because, of course, uh, bad things happen in mystery stories. Things like uh, dying. And then he has to find out who did the killings. And you do that by, you know, exploring places and talking to people and taking them to court, which is great because, you know, it's court. And um, then you interrogate people and, you know, cross-examine them. And they'll tell you stuff like, I didn't kill that guy. And then you'll be like, but I have this photograph of you stabbing that guy. And so you're lying. And they'll be like, darn, you got me. And it's like, well, that sounds pretty simple. 
as like a core gameplay element. But the thing is, when it comes to games like this, there always has to be some sort of story behind it because it's one thing to just strip everything away and say like, well, you know, Mr. A is accused of killing Mr. B and, you know, Miss C, uh, Miss D, Mr. F, and Mr. G are all there. And here's, you know, your uh, evidence, but you have to apply some sort of story as a coat of paint on top. And in terms of the great Ace Attorney, it's uh, absolutely a fantastic piece of literature with uh, really fascinating themes uh, and lots of great references to other works of uh, literature, particularly other mystery novels, because uh, the great Herlock Sholmes makes his own appearance through this. uh, They also include uh, the very fantastic, my favorite author, uh, Soseki Natsume. But what I find very fascinating here too, which maybe steers into a completely different discussion than even this, but by having such a focus on story as a a way to elevate the gameplay, they kind of um, recontextualize uh, Soseki and kind of present his own works, especially uh, Kokoro, as a mystery novel, which if you were to read it, you probably wouldn't think that. But when you look at it in the context of a parallel to a study in Scarlet, all of a sudden it's like, dang, did you just like posit a new genre for this classic piece of literature? Absolutely fascinating. Really good stuff. Now there's a lot to unpack there and every word that Nikki said was true, but if you don't know a little bit about these games, you might be a little confused because there, there's a, there's so much to unpack here. There really is. Um, so, uh, Nikki, with your permission, I'm going to uh, go, go into a bit of a, a background info dump. Is that okay? Okay. The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles was two 3DS games that were Japan only for many, many years, but we got the Chronicles collection last year at, at like a bolt from the blue. I think they announced it something like four months before we got it, which was the, the, uh, an extremely happy surprise for me. And uh, th- this game takes place in, I believe, 1901 or 1902, Japan and Victorian England. Um, with uh, and a real life um, author Soseki Natsume, who did spend a, f- a year or two in England studying literature, is a major character in uh, in both halves of the game. And b- because this game, like like sort of blends metaphors from the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and uh, Maurice LeBlanc and Soseki Natsume, it, it, it is it is like it is a it, they're references but not like a family guy reference where they say something and you remember a saturday morning cartoon from 20 years ago these kinds of reference are the references are the ones that like that are just you you can't believe they're happening as you see them if you understand the references like like uh using the herlock sholmes name that was part of maurice leblanc's arsene lupin books uh, to avoid the, to avoid um copy to avoid a uh, uh, copyright law in the first major case of of intellectual um property theft in in history 
and and combining elements of uh, of Natsume short stories with Sherlock Holmes short stories in individual cases is breathtaking. But also the gameplay part of the game where you uh, interview people and explore and search for evidence and then in court cross-examine people and and basically solve dialogue puzzles where you're looking for logical inconsistencies or or uh, like by pressing and or elaborating testimony uh, wit- witnesses will you know trip over themselves it's it, it's a kind of dialogue and logic puzzle in a game that's already literary in nature there is a incredible amount of reading in this game and analysis in this game it is a game of reading and for some people that's wonderful and for some people are very turned off by it but i'm gonna say from my personal experience even though i think my eyes started to get a little bloodshot trying to finish this game in two in two weeks for a podcast last year (laughs) this story is excellent it is so good and um the relationship between uh uh between naruhodo and von zeeks who's the prosecutor that's your sort of rival or a a, a minor villain for most of the story and uh and and uh, uh naruhodo and certain other characters are awesome but my favorite moment of the enti- of both games comes near the end of the second game where they they basically you you assemble all the puzzle pieces together of of a mystery unrelated sort of unrelated to the murder at hand but was such an amazing moment of catharsis that like i i actually wept watching a grown man tap dance and i'm not going to explain it beyond that but (laughs) you will watch a man tap dance and once you understand everything he's been through you will shed real tears and that that's just the kind of game great ace attorney is sorry if i stole your thunder a little bit nikki but this is you and I both have some feelings, capital F feelings about this game. Wow. Can you imagine? You know, I wanted to bring this up because you brought it up about Mr. Sholmes, my friend, my dad, maybe, you know, this guy. How fascinating. He is uh, Sherlock Holmes in Japanese, right? But they renamed him uh, Herlock Sholmes in the English release. Now, what I find fascinating, because like you said, in uh, the Lupin book, uh, he's renamed, right, uh, to avoid copyright troubles. Now, here's something I just found out a few days ago. Um, Shu Takumi, the creator um, and director, I believe. um, Yeah, creator of, of Ace Attorney in general and Ghost Trick. And he directed all of the Ace Attorney games except for the last, except for five and six on the 3DS, right? Which which are great, but uh, but Shu was working on on these great Ace Attorney games at the time. Yeah, I just found out a few days ago through interviews. He his first uh, experience with Sherlock Holmes was actually through the Lupin books, but in the Japanese version. Herlock Sholmes is renamed back to Sherlock Holmes. So he's just flip-flopping around. This is the deepest, like, most intense kind of 5D chess you'll ever find. There's actually a, a Tomy game that has Herlock Sholmes in it, too. I keep telling Mr. Solosi to play it. Code realize it's Lupin, <laughs> and then Herlock shows up, and there he is. Oh, and my God. Dude, Code Realize, the whole plot is just Tales of Arise. Tales of Arise is literally just Code Realize. I'm not even joking. That makes me... Tales of Arise. 
that makes me very intrigued in Code Real Eyes. But I, I just, 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 I have written so many news stories about that game, those games over the years in my capacity as an RPG fan news editor, and I still have been so baffled by them. So thank you for the explanation. I, I, just as, as another aside, it is a little unusual because um, I, I don't think that the Maurice LeBlanc Lupin novels are as popular in North America as they are in France or Japan, but they were the most popular like um, pulp fiction in France during their time in the early 1900s. And they did extremely well in Japan, to which point you see masked gentleman thief characters appear in Japanese media all the time. I mean, I mean, there's there's the anime character Lupin the Third, which was you know originally a manga from the 1960s, where it, it, it the subject is literally the fictional Arsène Lupin has a Japanese grand or half Japanese grandson, and uh, that's that's where that uh, famous thief anime comes from. But also games like Persona Five, manga like Cat's Eye, or uh, or Detective Conan, or uh, or Common Mask. Like, there's just a lot of gentleman thief, masked thief stuff in Japanese uh, uh, literature and pop culture that I think is because of the outsized popularity of the Lupin uh, novels in Japan, which is well, that's fascinating too because the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles naturally posits these questions by having. Uh, Herlock Sholmes and Natsume Soseki together um, because if I'm not mistaken um, the Sherlock Holmes stories were more popular outside of England when they were first released including in Japan but then when you think of a, a person like Soseki Natsume who is one of if not the greatest uh, modern Japanese novelists and one of the greatest novelists of all time He's not really taught outside of Japanese schools uh, when it comes to literature because they have this very um, kind of, you know, Anglo-centric approach. Um, and it does kind of posit these kinds of questions naturally by bringing these two very drastic things when uh, Japan was forced to open its borders, which just recently happened in the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, and they are basically being forced to acclimate to an Anglo-centric uh, culture. But then Ryunosuke goes to London to learn about this culture, and everyone is very racist towards him because they don't want to become worldly themselves it uh you have a lot of very fascinating and still relevant to the modern times themes uh that create very meaningful conflicts between all the characters which allows not only like fun gameplay from case to case but an overarching narrative that keeps you invested through the whole thing rather than just that one case was fun the whole thing is fun because the whole thing is very imbued with meaning. You're absolutely right, Nikki. This is not just a collection of detective stories about anime lawyers solving convoluted murder mysteries. It's a period piece about the unusual time in Japan. This is Meiji era Japan, like before they had started to become an imperialist power. And the only country, or the even though they were opened up by... Uh, that, that, that forced opening to the world by Commodore Matthew Perry, not, not the Friends actor, and, and an American uh, like Navy Commodore, um, uh, was 
what started it. J- Japan's best international relation was with the uh, was with England because they, they uh, England sort of rec- was the first major European power to recognize them on the world stage, and I think they maybe felt a kinship towards one another as island nations that were you know, that were uh, you know trying to uh, like make their place in the world to a degree, but. This is an unusual time period for a game with an unusual kind of game that is so dependent on writing and story, yet it weaves an amazing story with with lovable characters and literary references that I feel like you would need to take multiple classes on it to really get all of it. But like you can enjoy it on its surface. I think I think that especially the second one, because again, this is this is two games in a collection. Are, it's probably the best Ace Attorney game. And you can play them and not understand all the references and have a great time. But the more you understand the points it's making, like like the the, the, the more rewarding it feels. This is And this is a game that's mostly reading and sometimes the pacing is pretty slow. And if you don't like games with a lot, if you don't like games that lack running and jumping or swords or guns, then this is not your game. Although there are some swords. There are swords and there are a few guns, so I think you'll be fine. Yeah, you know that that's that's true. I miss I misspoke, my mistake. But uh, like th- this is a game that is really really remarkable in in the places it goes that I have never seen other places go other other games go. Yeah. Well, fun fact. I don't know. Can I I throw in one more fun fact before? Well, before let's let's end, let's let's end this segment on a fun fact. Okay, how do I want to say this? So you have Sherlock Holmes, who believes in logic and reasoning and scientific fact, and that's kind of it, right? And no sort of interpretation through a literary lens, right? However, uh, Natsume Soseki's theory of literature does attempt to posit that literature is, in fact, scientific, that's it. That's the fun fact. Yeah, and you know, a real life person who believes literature is in science versus a literature a, a person from literature that trades in science. This isn't a two sides of the same coin thing. These these are like opposite sides of a dodecahedron kind of deal. There are layers and angles to that game. I don't know when I'm going to replay it, but I I was completely captivated start to finish when I uh, when I played it last year. Absolutely amazing. But anyway, I I did play Ace Attorney Chronicles and uh, Near Replicant last year, and two years ago I played a whole lot of Hades, but I think it's time to talk about the one game on our list that I have not played a single minute of. So Audra, please uh, tell us all about Lagaya 2 Dual Saga, especially its um, it, it, the relationship between its gameplay and its story. Well, Lagaya 2 Dual Saga is the sequel to Legend of Lagaya. Not sure why they dropped the legend, but they did. Me neither. I actually picked it because I adored the gameplay in the Lagaya series. They have a combo-based kind of fighting game combat system that's really fun and kind of addicting to uncover all the combos for the special moves. And I just felt Lagaya 2 overall just polished the gameplay up a lot better. There's different things you can do. The cast is more, I feel like, relatable and likable overall, too. There's actually more of them which I, that have personality and everything, which I quite liked. I felt like the story, it's still typical like martial arts fantasy, but overall it was more of a compelling story in general. And I just, I love, you can go around, there's private actions you can take during town meetings, you can redecorate a house. 
you can actually cook food and have camp conversations at the party. It was a perfect example to me of emerging of story and gameplay in a really fun way. And it makes me bummed that they never came out with a third game. Right, so you compared the combat to a fighting game, and then, but you really enjoyed all of the RPG systems around it. Like, mm-hmm. like but if you were to say, let's say you're trying to recommend this game to one of us, uh, wh- wh- okay. where do you, where does your mind go first? The the great story and characters, or these uh, th- this unusual gameplay system? The unusual gameplay system, but then I'd still say over the first game because I didn't feel the story in the first game was as strong. So if you're looking for a stronger story, it would actually still be this game too, compared to the first Ligaya. Nikki, Dom, or Peter, have any of you played either of the two Ligaya games? Because I'm sad to say that I have not. Sadly, I have not either, although it's always been one of those um, PS1 white whales I'd love to try someday. It is pretty fun. They never made it available on the North American PlayStation Network, which is how I got a lot of exposure to PS1 games. Legend of Ligaya is a PS1 game, but Ligaya 2 is a PS2 game, if I'm not right. mistaken. Right. Yeah, right. And yeah, the, the, the PS2 was a bit of a golden era of RPGs, so maybe it was a little bit easy, unfortunately, for a game like Ligaya 2 that isn't part of the Square Enix machine. But you said it's a martial arts fantasy. Is it sort of a like Wuja-influenced or, or maybe a Chinese novel-influenced uh, story, kind of like a Suikoden? Does, do you think it falls more into like what we would think of as generic fantasy uh, with, you know, um, spiky-haired teenagers saving the world? <laughs> Spiky-haired teenager saving the world. I actually right, felt right. more like a Dragon Ball storyline. <laughs> because they even some of the moves are so over the top that you can do in the game. That uh, now that's extremely Wuja. Yeah, it's yeah. extremely a lot of a lot of Chinese martial arts films, especially ones where, you know, Wong Fei Hong is shouting his moves aloud as he says them, are really ripped from Wuja, which is a, a form of like a Chinese uh, uh, serial story a lot of which were adventure stories or martial arts epics. This seems like a really interesting vibe that isn't quite struck by a lot of other games of its kind. It's turn-based gameplay with fighting game-like inputs, is that right? Yeah, you um, basically button input to figure out combo, to uncover combos. And then it keeps a lot of each of the combos you uncover so that you can quickly like chain them together and create super powerful moves. So it's like every fight is... Xenogears on the ground, or one of Sabin's blitz moves from Final Fantasy VI, except going much, many steps further. Yes. Okay, that sounds pretty. Pretty wild. much. Yeah, it can get pretty fun, and I mean the combos can get insanely long, and it's addicting. <laughs> now, I am a person who has practiced Street Fighter and Garou combos for many an hour. <laughs> the, the part of Persona Five where you get it, where you have to do a fighting game combo input to to beat one of the mini games. Like a lot, I know a lot of people struggled with that, but to me, to me, there was like, oh, this my whole life is leading up to this moment. <laughs> um, well, that's very intriguing to me because fighting games are so weird. Uh, how uh, they value execution to a degree, and sometimes that can be a barrier to entry. But then you have games like uh, like Super Smash Brothers or how Street Fighter Six is making every special move uh, a one or two button hit, uh, or at least it gives you the option of making every special move a uh, a two button button press. Like the the idea that execution is required for high level ability, the, like that attitude from a fighting game maybe being applied to a turn based RPG is weird and interesting to me because this this seems like a weird and interesting game. Um, and Audrey, you told us several days ago that uh that this was the game that you were gonna pick because we we you know we all sort of wrote them down in our in our shared document. So I did look up a couple uh a couple YouTube videos of this. 
I was reminded like, oh, what if the combat in an RPG was pretty good, but everybody was Sabin from FF6? And that's, which, which doesn't sound half bad to me as someone who loves Sabin and FF6. Yes, it's pretty much if everyone was a fighter, different types, like Maya has different abilities than Lane. And... Oh, oh, yeah. They're, they're not, they're not yeah. the same character, but, it, but, they, but they all use, it, it's like the cast is a cast of a fighting game where everyone has different button inputs for their special moves. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Nikki, Dom, or Peter, um, does does any of this sound intriguing to you? Are are you more likely to check out a Lagaya Two video and check prices on eBay like I am? No, no. I was to say, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm always down for new, interesting RPG experiences for sure. I mean, yeah, it definitely sounds because, like, when I think turn based RPGs and fighting games, they seem like such polar opposite ends of the spectrum of gameplay in in my mind, but. To, to hear that they've been combined into that seems pretty fun is definitely pretty intriguing. It's almost like the opposite of Dissidia, because at least Dissidia on the PSP was a fighting game where you had to do turn-based, menu-driven special moves for uh, for your all of your attacks. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a or or all of your special attacks. But this is a, a an RPG that has fighting game execution for its special attacks. Mm-hmm. How difficult is execution of high-level stuff in this game? Well, once you find a combo move that works for you, you can keep it, it keeps a record of it. So it's easy enough if you follow through the, but you have to just uncover more powerful moves as you advance. So I'd say it's moderately difficult, unless you just have like a game fact or something. Yeah, if you open up a game facts or a wiki or something, I'm sure you can skip a couple of steps there. But I mean, you can even link combos together with other characters and... To create tag team moves and stuff, and so a link art, you say? That sounds familiar, Audra. <laughs> yes, did we it just does. play a game with some of those? Uh, we were talking about Tales of Exilia, which was the game we played last month on Retro Encounter, listeners. Um, but I, I don't know if Lagaya Two uh, will ever get its own episode of Retro Encounter, just because it seems to be there's a bit of an access issue with this game. It is on the rare side, and like Peter mentioned before, it doesn't look like either of the Lagayas ever got a PSN release or a similar release outside of their first appearances on PS1 and PS2. I mean, I've heard of it. Like, like it's, it's, an, it's an RPG name that people know, but it's maybe a little bit of a hidden gem that's not the easiest game to, to, to get a hard copy of. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. But I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I know a thing or two about that. I just bought a copy of Suikoden 5 a few weeks ago. All right, now we're going to go with uh, something that's almost the opposite of a hard-to-find PS2 game, a Switch game that is also available on PC, perhaps the two uh, most popular systems in the world right now. Um, this is the game that I'm bringing to the table, and I'm just going to apologize in advance. Um, this is the game that has been uh, living in my brain rent-free for the past month or month and a half. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Um, we talked a little bit about Monster Hunter Rise on a Monster Hunter-themed episode around a year ago. And, and Peter and Dom, you both joined me on that one, right? Yes, yes, we I, did. I believe so, yep. Yep, so I am. I regret to inform you that uh, Sunbreak is amazing, which means I'm definitely <laughs> going to put another 200 hours into it. <laughs> we, never, we, never doubt, we never doubted you. My Monster Hunter Rise playtime was right around 200 hours and my time so far in a month and a half on sunbreak is alarmingly close to that 200 hour mark although not quite there yet so but but the whole point here is that not just sunbreak i'll I'll get into specifics about sunbreak soon but monster hunter game stories they're barely there at all like it's uh 
they, they're uh, I've heard them described as functional. <laughs> like, <Yep>. like they, <laughs> they get the job done. It's it's enough to get you to hunting monsters and the actual fun part of the game or the game part of the game. But as as stories, they're just they are they they're there. But I don't think anyone is going to be writing a like PhD thesis on on these stories unlike Nikki might be writing one for the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. But what Sunbreak does that's unusual, or well, you know what, backing up a little bit further, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome, because you spend so, because these games are so long and involved, they just spend so much time with these characters and in these villages that you get weirdly attached to them. Like, I'm not saying Poke Village from Monster Hunter Freedom 2 is great, but it's cozy, and because I played Monster Hunter Freedom 2 and Freedom Unite for like 300 hours, I'm extremely attached to Pocket Village. And um, so, again, maybe this sounds like, 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 a, like a psychological prison, but because these, the Monster Hunter games are so well-built, I, I feel myself getting attached to story and characters in spite of me knowing they aren't great. But, but now let's get to the why, why I have played Monster Hunter games for literal months of my actual life. Uh, the gameplay is almost unsurpassed. Like the, these are my favorite co-op games ever made. Um, the monster designs are some of the finest work Capcom's art department has ever done. Uh, there are 14 weapon types, 15 technically uh, um, going, but, but they dropped medium bow guns after Monster Hunter 3. And that number jumps up to 17 or 18 if you talk about the weird magnet spikes and stuff from Monster Hunter Frontier. But there are, there, in general, there are 14 weapon types that are each like playing a completely different character in an action game. Um, my, my favorites are a Zelda-like sword and shield, a, uh, a, uh, a Donkey Kong-like giant hammer, and a, oh, how do I describe this? And a, uh, this is Sparta-like uh, lance and shield. 14 weapon types, up to four players going into a hunt at once. You're hunting and, uh, monsters like giant monkeys to flying wyverns to fire lion dragons to, uh, to, to giant praying mantises that can that are riding a mech made of heavy artillery the, these are amazing boss fights that also have sort of ecology descriptions and world building surrounding these monsters trying to justify them in a completely insane fantasy world so i'm, I'm here for that even though the story for roughly 75 percent of monster hunter games is please protect this village from this monster and then around the 80 percent mark hey that monster wasn't the real threat. There's a bigger monster now. Please <laughs> defeat it. Um, that is, and again, uh, the only ones that aren't that are maybe some of the Monster Hunter Stories games, of, of which I know you've played at least the first one, Audra. <laughs> yes. It's usually about uniting with the monsties and being friends with them. Yep. And the other Monster Hunter games are mostly about separating the monsties from their lives. Uh <laughs> And, and using their parts to build better weapons and armor. But, but again, it, this is just an incredibly uh, elaborate multiplayer action game where, and, and just the stories that happen within the hunts get completely wild. Like uh, one time, there's a monster called a Kushala Daura that can knock you up in the air with a tornado and then give you a blast of like, uh, of like dragon energy while you're floating in midair to, to kill you in two hits. But one time... I was knocked far into the air. Then my friend who saw that happen threw a flash bomb at the dragon, which blinded it and interrupted sending the second fireball. But I went soaring through the air, fell off a cliff. Shortly after landing, 
I was I, I was uh, hit by a wild boar called a bullfango that that killed me instead. <laughs> like like just completely bonkers stories of triumph and failure uh, are bread and butter in Monster Hunter, but Sunbreak does something that seems very simple, but is just so much fun I can't get enough of it. They they know I've played this game for two hundred plus hours. They know I'm weirdly attached to like the shrine maidens from Kamara Village and the weirdo uh, the weirdo knights in Elgato Outpost. So they they did a, they added a new gameplay mode that's single player only. The hunts are a little easier. So like uh, the the HP of the monster is much lower because they know that it's single player and you can't you know call in three people to to whack the monster over and over. But they also allow you to bring NPCs from the village along the hunt. And they give you more dialogue and, and, and show off their personality. And, and also their personalities of the NPCs are manifested in their gameplay. Like uh, the, the Hinoa, a very, very good-natured uh, Shrine Maiden character, is very nurturing. So she always avoids monsters, heals you a lot, and just shoots with a bow and arrow from afar. While there's a gunner character named uh, Luchika, who is very prim and proper and like a secretary type knight character in Elgato Outpost. But when she's hunting monsters, she's a complete maniac who is like yelling out blood curdling war cries and firing a, ra a rapid fire heavy machine heavy bow gun at people, at, at monsters. And, and so, like, th this game does not have much story, but has a lot of personality and allows its personality to shine through gameplay in a way that is. I think like, I've been playing Monster Hunter since 2008, and I think Sunbreak is my favorite one, even though it's way less grounded than World, and uh, and and looks worse than World, even though World is uh, is three years older than Rise. Uh, it so it goes. Uh, yeah, so it goes. I mean, it, it, uh, Rise was made for Switch hardware. Is 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 why that happened. It's a very uh, impressive Switch game, though. Like, I mean, no, it's, it, it's it's. I think it's the best looking Switch game. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like honestly, like it is. It is a miracle how well that thing runs. And the online works better on Rise than in World because World had a bunch of weird stuff about unskippable cutscenes and, and forced to join late in the hunt. Well, where in Rise, you can just, uh, you know, either join a random hunt to help someone and or you can t uh, find someone on your, friend sh on your friends list, pop into the same instance, and then hunt together. It's, it's very easy to do multiplayer in Rise and Sunbreak. And, and also, the monsters themselves are so completely bonkers. Uh, Dom, I know we talked about this in the in one of the older episodes, but every monster that was added for Rise or Sunbreak is based on a monster from mythology mm -hmm. and a real-world animal and a monster type from Monster Hunter. So, like, uh, the Akinasam is based on the hopping umbrella spirit from Japanese folklore mm -hmm. and resembles a large crane, as in the bird, and is a and is a bird style wyvern, like, uh, from in Monster Hunter ecology. And, it's, and all of the monsters have design unification like that and have so much variety and personality in their moves. I'm going to be playing this game for 20 years, is my worry. <laughs> but the, but the, real, the real answer is, I'm going to play this game for one year, and then I'll play the next Monster Hunter game. So, yeah. <sighs> this is one of my obsessions. I popped off. But please, someone else talk for a minute. Well, I'm glad you brought up that story about how you got killed by a rampaging boar. Because um, that's kind of what I was like getting at with the idea that good gameplay is a story in and of itself. You've got your first act, you've got, you know, you, you're setting the foundation of how the game works, the, you know, environment in which it takes place in, the characters, whether that be the player and their friends, 
or the player and the monsters and whatever. And then you got the second act, the rising tension. This stuff is happening. This is a conflict. I want to eat the evil angry pickle monster, but the evil angry pickle monster wants to live. So there's a conflict of interest. And then you got the third act. How could things get any worse? The evil angry pickle monster just threw me into the air. Could it get any worse? And then the conclusion, it can get worse. The boar killed me. You know, there you go. You just wrote a novel. Congratulations. What a good story. For those of you not as familiar with Monster Hunter memes as Nikki or I, uh, there's a monster called a Devil Joe, which is a green, bumpy-skinned mm. giant Tyrannosaurus that is affectionately nicknamed the Murder Pickle by the, by the fans. So, yep, sometimes you get murdered by a pickle, sometimes you murder the pickle. That's just how Monster Hunter goes. I will not make a pickle Rick joke because that <laughs> those died years ago. Um, that episode has Danny Trejo in it, so I see nothing wrong with making a pickle Rick joke. Fair enough, fair enough. That show was good. The fans ruined it. Anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, Rick and Morty is a good television <laughs> show with just some ter- with just a terrible fan base. Um. <laughs> But uh, the Monster Hunter fan base is much friendlier. They're either either very welcoming or way too invested in the metagame, which is, you know, I'm on both sides of that of that uh, border. Totally Uh, valid. But yeah, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, like the story isn't great. Again, you with that vague, oh, no, there's a second monster arc I described that describes something like seven Monster Hunter games. Um, But the thing the thing they do with characters and uh, what Nikki was describing on how on how you create your own story with gameplay, uh, that's usually referred to as an ever, as emergent narratives or gameplay that is or unusual gameplay that's created from base gameplay systems is emergent gameplay. There is so much emergent st- storytelling in Monster Hunter Rise, and, but it's also it's the easiest to play Monster Hunter game. Uh, you you go around like finding magic birds to boost your stats before you find the monster like pac-man eating uh, like collecting super pellets i I feel like this is the most fun i've ever had playing a video game and but then i'll get really burned out on it and then the next monster hunter game will come out and i'll and i'll feel like a kid again do i need to attend like a gamers anonymous meeting for this because i'm (laughs) i'm a little concerned about my uh, about how this is affecting my social life i think i'll be attending that one with you so we'll see if you go but yeah i feel like the one of the great things about Monster Hunter as well is that like the this is also one of the few exceptions I have to where like I don't care about the story for Rise at all or Monster Hunter. I've been I mean I've only started playing since World, but I didn't care for that story that much either. But like both games are among like the highest playtime games on, in my Steam library for me, and that's because like you just have to be so involved with the gameplay itself, and then the game rewards you with like all these like different interactions like all like the layering of its systems like that in and of itself is so cool to witness like when two monsters encroach on each other's territory they'll like engage in a turf war and there'll be like this real-time like cutscene just playing out in front of you of two monsters just beating the crap out of each other and it's like it's stuff like that that like the game rewards you with and even if it isn't like direct you know just like plot point to plot point narrative it's still still a story in and of itself just from the gameplay itself whenever me and my regular hunting part i've had the same i've been playing monster hunter games with with my best friend since 2008 like whenever we do a hunt in the jungle area of sunbreak uh one of us will go and grab the puppet spider halfway up the cliff on the uh on on the south end of the map 
and one of us will take a long way around the east side of the map and pick up a stink mink, which are you know small little animals that you can meet and and put in your pouch. And when you have a puppet spider, you can use um, you can use spider silk to ride a monster and control it like a marionette briefly. And with a stink mink, when you basically when you use a stink mink, it sort of crawls over your back and farts in your face. But that makes it your smell irresistible to monsters. So if we're targeting monster A for the hunt, da uh, David will grab the puppet spider and go after monster B, and I'll grab the stink mo the stink mink and go after monster C, and then we'll basically seek monster B and monster C on monster A and just create a complete <laughs> monster symphony of destruction that lasts a very confusing ninety seconds or so before we get before the B and C leave the area and we and we go back we concentrate on monster A like that's the kind of thing that we do like 10 times in one afternoon just 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 hunt, uh when, when i'm playing online with my uh with my old hunting buddy and also you get you get to design a dog and cat that helped you in battle too and that's just amazing you start the game you got to create your hunter then you got to create your starting cat then create your starting dog and you can recruit a whole army of dogs and cats that will even do little side missions while you're off hunting with other dogs and cats there's a whole like section of the village a whole district of the village dedicated to raising and training your animal buddies and you also oh you um, how dare i forget you also have an owl that will scout monsters for you called a cohoot and uh, a tiny little firefly bug that you can use the spider-man around uh with with silk threads all around the map i mean what i'm saying is is i want every game to play like monster hunter rise sunbreak but unfortunately it's only the one game <sighs> I needed that. I need. I needed an outlet for Monster Hunter talk after the. <laughs> after my, hey, after the happy after to provide. The, after the past six weeks of playing this and and podcast games and nothing else. <laughs> but we we have more than five games that we think have unusually good story or gameplay, or that we played one in spite of the other. Uh, before we um before we end up the episode, let's just throw some other games out there. Um. Give us the a two or three sentence spiel on a game that you think is worth discussing for this topic. Sure, I got a couple. Hit me. Uh, all right, so Xenogears. Uh, terrific story. One of the best there ever was, um, possibly. Um, the game is not finished. And Oh, the second um, disc of Xenogears is a visual novel with like three boss fights in it. And even putting that aside, though, the actual gameplay of Disc 1 isn't all that sharp to begin with. It is a real ugly game. Uh, you just, you, you gotta suffer through a lot to get through Xenogears, but oh my, does it have a very rewarding, chewy center. Yeah, um, the giant polygon mecha in Xenogears aren't great, but the, but the story and characters themselves are, uh, like, all-time great. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, we have a game like Diablo 3, um, a game which I sunk hundreds of hours into before Blizzard decided to show their whole ass off to the entire universe. Um, uh, but that game's story is utter poo-poo garbage. Zero out of ten would not recommend, no matter how pretty the cutscenes are. It is dumber than a sack of rocks. But that gameplay loop is so addictive and so fun that you will want to play that game for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. This Diablo 3's story, it's like, let's kill or ruin about three characters from Diablo 1 that everyone liked and see what happens. Yeah, I killed Deckard Kane. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally the plot of Diablo 3. <laughs> and, and yeah, like, hey, let's take one character from 1996 Diablo then have her not show up for 16 years and make her the evil but the evil traitor in Diablo 3. Like why? Who wanted this? Not I. <laughs>
Not ours. Um, yeah, yeah. Spoilers for the whole Diablo series. But if you care about the story of Diablo of the Diablo series, then I think you might have problems that I can't address. Also, also weird nerds. We have to have a discussion about how lore is not the same thing as narrative. Thank you. All right, uh, agreed. But that's a whole another podcast episode, probably. But what's another game that we think uh, is you know weighted a little bit too heavily to one side on story versus gameplay? Probably, I'd say I like. Mass Effect Andromeda's gameplay, I felt it was more polished than the original trilogy, actually. But the story just isn't as good. I, I have heard that, how it is a disappointment for many reasons, but the actual shooting and classes are not the, are no, neither of those reasons. Yeah. But I have not played Andromeda. I've, I've played the Mass Effect trilogy, but not Andromeda. I'm something of an apologist for Andromeda, but I like it, even though it's... Uh, John recently finished that, because uh, uh, he and I have been playing the Mass, uh, the, the Mass Effect games. He's playing them for the first time. Uh, and he liked the, the trilogy so much that he went out and got a copy of Andromeda. And maybe that's a discussion you and he could have because he's also a bit of an uh, – he, he is a uh, – a how, how would I say – a born-again Mass Effect Andromeda apologist. <laughs> we can bond. <laughs> um, I guess another game that also comes to mind here is Dark Souls in that it has – Ooh, we gonna fight. Probably it has zero actual narrative. Like you get the only real narrative you get in the original Dark Souls is hey, you have to ring these two bells, good luck finding them. That's about like all the narrative you get. But the whole but Dark Souls, the entire first like 60% of it is just a masterclass in level design and emergent narrative that like you, you don't care about it. You don't care about that, like, there is no real overarching story because the world itself is telling you such an... or giving you such an amazing story to experience. And it's it was such a transformative experience that there are probably hundreds of YouTube channels by now still oh, yeah, dissecting the lore and, like, the story and, like, the all like all the things that the world itself is giving back to you as a gameplay. And, like, what does this mean within the universe of Dark Souls? And... The fact that these discussions are still happening is kind of crazy to me, but yeah. Oh yeah, like literally the other day I was reading someone who summarized the plot of Dark Souls 3's Ringed City DLC, and I read this and I'm like, wait, that's what was going on? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have not played Dark Souls, but I did play a lot of Demon Souls, uh, the, the PS5 remake, not that long ago, in fact. And, and I think the combat is 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 good not amazing in mm -hmm. in demon souls and dark yeah. souls the feeling of exploration and discovery is so powerful and mm -hmm. the boss fights themselves are really dramatic and fun and uh and and, and the, the game gives you a feeling of i'm always in danger but i can accomplish this danger and every time you find something new or notice something new it uh it, it, it's you know the feeling of leveling up or finding a treasure chest in an rpg but somehow amplified because of the setting and the level design mm -hmm. um so it's 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 uh, they're they're great RPGs. I've no doubt in my in it at all. But uh, it is going to be another month or two before I finally play a second Souls like, and it's it's going to be either Dark Souls or Elden Ring. I haven't decided yet. I think that uh, the Soulsborne games, and I guess the Soulsborne Ring, I don't even know anymore. But <laughs> the, the From Software's action RPGs um, really are the epitome of what Nikki was talking about about how um, games kind of the the experience of playing the game the gameplay can be the narrative um because those games are master classes in level design like you said dom i think they're master classes of atmosphere of tone of emergent like you said emergent narrative how like 
your experience playing this game, your your journey throughout Lordran or Yarnum or the Lands Between is going to be full of a hundred mini stories about failures and triumphs. Um, and it's not to say, like, I think that Bloodborne is one of the best pieces of Lovecraftian fiction ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is in a game that is still, nevertheless, has a lot, very minimal traditional narrative structure. In explicit narrative, these games are all minimalist to the extreme. Mm-hmm. But in terms of all these other things that make games awesome, and how, and whether it's creating personal stories through gameplay or communicating lore to the player via gameplay and the end uh the more you look into the lore the more you notice in the game uh so, so, so there are triumphs of of world building and uh and atmosphere and all the things that both of you said dom and peter but uh to, to say that that the surface story or the plot itself is great would be uh, i i think is overselling it a little bit so i'm uh, i'm with i'm with you there and uh it's only a matter of time before I play another Soulsborne ring. That's interesting, though, because when you think about like novels themselves, there are works of literature that don't really have much quote unquote plot going on, and they are literally just characters going through their day to day lives. But then it's all about the subtext which is always there, whether it be a novel or a TV show or a game. So it's still like, uh, it's still a story, even if it's not in that way that we think of when it comes to like, and then once upon a time, there was Mr. Souls and Mr. Bourne was there too. You know, it doesn't have to be like that, right? Oh my to God, that's Jason Bourne. And, and then they, they, they had to defeat Mr. Ring in the denouement of the story. And uh, and then everyone lived sadly ever after. And then the credits roll. That's. I mean, it's fascinating. I've never played Elden Ring yet, but based off of all the fan art I've seen of it, there's something going on. They've got characters in that game. That's what I'm interested in. Sometimes a story is its characters, and that's got characters. I have to admit, I don't, I don't know a ton about Elden Ring, but I definitely want to meet that giant friendly turtle that sells you magic spells. Yo, oh it's my god, that's the best one. That's a I've dog. Also, <laughs> it's a puppy. I've oh also seen so much of um, what is it? The 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 guy who rides the giant guy who rides around on a tiny horse. Radon, yeah, General Radon, Radon yeah, you know. yeah. I'm I'm afraid to look up fan art of the Maiden in Black from Demon Souls because I'm worried it'll get <laughs> should be. way too fast. <laughs> should be, and because uh, I know, I mean, if I search for a certain character, even if it's on an innocent website like Google or Twitter of a Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak character, like don't just recklessly Google Fiorain because again, it, that it'll get NSFW. Uh, like real damn quick, but okay. If okay, I'm actually, to... actually, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but there is a lot of feet in in Monster Hunter or Maiden in Black. No, in Maiden in Black fan art. <laughs> I mean, don't get me started on Wyvarian feet in the Monster Hunter games because there's oh, a no. oh no, like oh, oh no. <laughs> Quentin, when, when, Quentin Tarantino has entered the chat. When people learned that Wyvarians, which are basically elf-like people in Monster Hunter, have uh have uh, um have raised heels on their feet and possibly might lay eggs the internet really really took it to an extreme but okay uh, if, i don't know if, i don't know what level of horny that is but it is alarming 
if I'm talking about alarming levels of horny with Monster Hunter characters, then I think we've reached the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. Can I actually can I actually put one more game on this list that I? All might right, one more. You get you get you get three bars. All right, my la- my last one is going to be Final Fantasy IX. The gameplay is not bad. Please don't hey. crucify me. Please do mm. not crucify me. However, the trance system does not work. And it is probably the slowest of the PS1 Final Fantasies, maybe tied with Final Fantasy VIII. It is greatly benefited by the speed up function that they added in the new ports. Anyway, that's okay. My now, well, all right. Now, now I'm okay. No, I'm just gonna say Turnabout Big Top is really bad. That's it. It's been haunting me. I can't get it out of my mind, and I'm so unhappy. That is oh case God. number. Th- that is case number three from the second Ace oh, Attorney game, it's so and bad. it is it is pretty rough. It is it's uh, so bad. I can't believe I kept that locked away in my mind. It's like stupid Phoenix broke the psych lock that was keeping it in check, and now it's free to roam in my brain and i'm so unhappy it's so bad that's a game that is like 60 percent of a great story but that last 40 percent is a bit of a mm, it's a you oh know, so my it, it, God. It, it, it's, it's picking a picking a rotten banana out of the bunch it but, doesn't uh, have any thematic relevance to anything what nope. were they thinking it's wow. about clown. It's about clowns and sneezing lions and mm-hmm. uh, d- and and disrespect towards um, the infirmed. So, and hey. uh, and I have nothing else to say about that game. So You played um, you played the Zero Escape games, right? Of course, I have. Okay, so do you remember when Albert Wesker showed up at the end and basically explained the plot? Of uh, in in Zero Escape Three, you mean? Yeah. Okay, yeah. but you know, because I remember, some people have complex motives, and that's all you need to know. Okay, you know, things can be complicated. Snails can be complicated. Okay. Yeah, don't you see? You see, don't you see? Um, his motives were complex. <laughs> see, look, look, zero, zero time dilemma is a pretty exciting, interesting game until it isn't. But uh, all right, it's got Carlos. That's all you need. All, all you need is that Retro Encounter has done episodes on 999 and uh, Virtue's Last Reward, but not Zero Time Dilemma because reasons. But oh, okay, all right. We, we, Complex we have, reasons. We have, <laughs> gone, we have hit every single tangent and secant and, uh, and oblique line that I can possibly think of. So I think now for real, we got to end the episode. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this journey about celebrating great stories and bad stories and great gameplay and bad gameplay and how they all interact in ways that are emergent or uh, or minimalist or quotidian or whatever uh, you know big fancy um, PhD word you want to use to describe these video games that we mostly love. But uh, and but and also thank you, uh, Audra, Nikki, Dom, and Peter for joining me on this meandering episode. That was a lot of fun to take part in, and also got me to check eBay prices on Lagaya Two Dual Dual Saga. Woo-hoo! Oh boy, this podcast is—I I truly love it. I truly enjoy it, but it's not always great for my mental health or my wallet. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but listeners, I hope that you uh, had a nice, um, you know, boost to your mental health by listening to a podcast that, if if it isn't, if it, if it isn't your favorite, at least passed the time in an illuminating or amusing way. But uh, what are the next uh, amusing or illuminating podcasts heading your way in Retro Encounter? Uh, we are doing two episodes on Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, 
we're, we uh, we backed off on any FF13 discussion for this episode because I I, uh, I have some thoughts on its story and its gameplay, but we're going to talk about both of those things plenty in the next two weeks. And uh, and and following that, we have um, picked out our game for September. It's going to be Live Alive, which I have been erroneously calling Live Alive for probably 25 years. Uh, it, uh, Live Alive received a recent remake on the Switch, and it is a anthology RPG from right in the smack dab middle of uh, Square's at Super Nintendo heyday. Oh, it's a 1994 game, which is the same year FF6 came out. So uh, we're I'm sh- I haven't started Live Alive yet. I've barely started FF13, but I'm sure I will have a lot to say about both of those games when we cover them in the podcast in August and then September. But listeners, if you want to ta- email us about uh, great stories, great gameplay for FF13, Live Alive, or anything else, the best way to reach us is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on RPG Fan's message boards. Visit our, the RPG Fan mes- Facebook page, um, RPG Fan.com on Twitter. Uh, we have a Discord server, a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, something going on on Twitch basically every night. And uh, our newest addendum to RPG Fan's present on the internet is the RPG Fan Store. If you search for RPG Fan on tpublic.com, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, you can find a bunch of RPG Fan merch that includes shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, pins, phone cases, a whole bunch of stuff emblazoned with that RPG Fan Emerald Shield. So please, if you're interested in any of that, uh, and or at least want to check some prices on the merch, you can go to tpublic.com, search for RPG Fan uh, Store, and patronize us if you choose to. RPG Fan has more than just these things I mentioned. I keep forgetting the, and having to add things. There are two other podcasts run by the RPG Fan staff, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and video games, of, and Rhythm Encounter other, every other two weeks about rhythm and RPG music. So uh, please enjoy Random Encounter, Rhythm Encounter, and Retro Encounter on either Apple Podcasts, Google Google Play, Spotify, whatever podcast venue you choose. And if you would love to leave feedback, we would always appreciate it, especially if it is the maximum number of stars that allowed by that platform. But let's talk about some other platforms. Each of us are on social media or in some manner or another. How can listeners reach us as individuals? Let's tell them starting with you, Peter. Hi, as usual, you can always find me on Twitter at I Have Fury, where I post every inane thought that skitters across my brain, and I'm on there way too often. You can also email me, PeterT, at RPGFan.com if you so desire. I might get back to you. Now, Nikki. Hi, I'm on Twitter.com. I'm at Otome underscore Nikki. It's N-I-K-I, just one K, because I'm Nikki, not a diary. Now, Dom. You can find me chilling on the Discord server as DH Kenny. Now, Audra. You can email me at audrab at rpgfan.com. Now, Solosi. Listeners, you can find me on Twitter most easily. I am at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times. Those are Soul Calibur 4 and Persona 3 references, respectively. And on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, let's see. Do I want to go and play some more uh, Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative, which is a great story and some weird gameplay, or do I want to try to go inch closer to 200 hours of Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, which is great gameplay, and, you know, who's kidding? It's going to be Monster Hunter. (laughs) Thank you, good night, and good luck. Bye. Bye.